All right. Good evening, Antioch Baptist Church. It is Wednesday night. We are good to go. I'm streaming from the control hub, the command center here at, uh, at Drew Mock's house. He's letting me use his fancy setup because we're doing, uh, we're going to do the podcast too. So good evening, Brenda. Good to see you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And, uh, and thank you to all of you who are tuning in, even though I don't know uh, who is watching yet. Hopefully I'll see as we get going. Uh, I just want to start off tonight uh, just by saying uh, we need to be praying. We need to keep our country in prayer. You know, uh, you all know what's been going on and uh, with, the, with the COVID-19 and then recently, of course, with the tragic death of, uh, of Mr. Floyd and now the rioting and the protesting and uh, it is just, it's a mess. It's, uh, it's chaos and we need to be praying as the people of God. We need to, uh, we just need to come together and unite in prayer. Um, hey, Susie, good to see you. Aaron, thank you so much uh, for that compliment. Um, we need to really be just pulling together right now. I, I love what an old, uh, an old uh, rap artist said. He said that the problem in our world today is not people versus people, it's good versus evil. And uh, Benjamin Watson of the New Orleans Saints said uh, racism isn't uh, just a skin problem, it's a sin problem. And it, it's so true. Uh, we need to rise above that. We need to, uh, you know, as believers in Christ, we're called to love people uh, regardless of their past, regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, regardless of all those things, we need to love and honor and respect our fellow man and our fellow woman. That That's the mandate for the believer. And I think we need to be intentional about seeking out relationships, trying to understand, and we need to be praying for the good men and women in law enforcement and for the folks and for our brothers and sisters in the African-American community that are, that are uh, seeing the same old tragic story play out again and again, it's a bad, it's just a, it's its like a nonstop uh, tragedy uh, happening time and time again. It happens way too often, and it's not right. And and I know that for the people of God, I want you to hear me out. Prayer is our protest. Prayer is the way that we protest against the, the principalities and the powers and the rulers of this dark age. That's how we combat it. it we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the forces of evil and the forces of darkness, and that's how we need to respond. We need to pray, and then if you do, uh, if you do want to protest and stand uh, side by side with brothers and sisters in the African American community, the answer is to do that peacefully and prayerfully. Uh, violence only creates more violence, as Dr. Martin Luther King said. Hatred creates more hatred. That's not the answer. That's not the way. That's not we. That's not the way you combat it. Uh, you can't let your anger and frustration lead you to the same type of behavior and action that created your anger and frustration. We've got to answer hate with love. We've got to answer injustice with a plea for for uh, justice to flow like a river. We need to call on Almighty God and uh, and pray for uh, dear friends and that are that have been that in the law enforcement community that are in that have been in Lynchburg night after night after night this week all over the nation trying to maintain peace and trying to maintain order and we need to pray for the African American community our brothers and sisters there that are grieving uh, injustice and I think that what we can see is, is as we pray 
and as we reach out and as we try to build relationships, we got to build relationships. We got to choose individually, uh, not to allow ourselves to be segregated. We can't allow ourselves to live segregated lives. We've got to choose to build relationships, to be intentional, to seek to understand. Uh, because you know, for me, from where I'm, I'm, I'll be the first to admit I'm a spoiled brat. I'm privileged. I don't know what it's like to look over my shoulder and, and worry and and have that fear that so many in the African-American community are expressing that, that fear. And so many in the law enforcement community right now are expressing that same fear and that same anxiety now. They don't know if they're going to respond to a call and, and, and be faced with, with violence as well. So be praying for everyone involved. Be praying for the families that are involved, the, the wives and the spouses and the husbands and the children of those in the law enforcement community and for the family of, of Mr. Floyd and, and for all those in the African-American community that have lost loved ones due to due to violence. We need to pray and we need to seek reconciliation. Uh, as much as it depends on us, we need to be at peace with all men. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 12. Don't be conquered by evil, but overcome evil by doing good. It, it, only love will drive out hate. Only faith will triumph over fear, and only allowing the Holy Spirit to heal will quell hatred. And that's what we need. Uh, that's what we need today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just pray that uh, you would just let justice flow like a river in our nation, in our land, in our country. Lord, we just ask that uh, in, in, in all things that Jesus Christ would be, would be glorified. We pray, oh God, for healing, for peace. Uh, we pray for for racial reconciliation. We pray, oh God, for uh, for protection for the law enforcement community. We pray, oh God, for uh, respect for justice. We pray, oh Lord, for for unity. We pray, oh God, for healing. And we just we know that only through Christ can all things be made new. And so we just ask, oh God, that you'll help us, Lord, to to recognize, Lord, you made the human race and you made it beautiful. You made it colorful. You made it full of diversity and help us, oh God, to embrace that. Help us, oh God, uh, to, to seek that, to be willing, oh God, to embrace uh, people that are different from us uh, because we know that they're created in your image and that you gave your life to save their soul. And so let that be the driving factor for us. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I love that. I've said it a hundred times uh, that God isn't colorblind. He's colorful and he made that diversity. And heaven is going to be a picture of a multitude that no man can number from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue. So uh, if, if we're going to be the people of God and if we're going to preach the kingdom of God, then we've got to model what it looks like to be under the rule and reign of Christ. And we know what Jesus told the apostles. Uh, this is my commandment, that you love one another. This is my commandment. We know what First John said, that it's impossible to say that you love God who you don't see and hate your brother who you do see. And so we need to uh, reach out and love one another right now. All right, Matthew chapter 21. We're jumping back in, starting at verse 18. Remember that we are in the last week of Jesus' life on earth. We are in Passion Week here. And he has already, on Sunday, come down in the triumphant entry and cleansed the temple 
and, and has performed healings and has been welcomed. He has turned the city of Jerusalem upside down. The city of Jerusalem at this time when Jesus came in was full of pilgrims that were anticipating celebrating Passover. It was so full, so packed, it's estimated that there could have been one to two million people in town. And it's so interesting because as the same time Jesus marches into the temple after the triumphant entry would have also been the same time that the Passover lambs were coming in to the temple to be inspected. And Jesus, a perfect timing, perfect picture. Jesus says the Passover lamb, he's preparing to give his life. He's preparing to lay it down. And so Jesus has a busy uh, day following that. It says in Matthew 21, verse 18, that early in the next morning, as he was returning to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And at once the fig tree withered. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed and said, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Uh, Jesus answered them, I assure you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you tell this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done for you. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So what has happened? Jesus is hangry, right? Uh, what's happening here? He gets mad at this poor little innocent tree and curses it, and it withers up and dies. That seems like, it doesn't seem very much like Jesus, like something he would usually do. But what we have to understand is is what was hap what was symbolic about that that tree. First of all, uh, in ancient Israel and in Jerusalem, along the, the the pathways, they would plant these fig trees so that weary travelers could have uh, nourishment. They could they could pick from the fig tree and eat the figs, and they could you know they would be able to to have some sustenance that they needed. It was a quick snack, and they were planted along for the poor and tired traveler so that he had something to eat. Now, what you need to know about the fig tree is that when a fig tree is blooming, the fruit forms first. The fruit comes on first, and then after that, then comes uh, the leaves after that. So, so, what we, so what Jesus, this fig tree should have had fruit on it because the fruit is first, then the, then the leaves come. So it should have had fruit on it. So this tree is a picture of hypocrisy. It is giving off the perfect image. It appears to be healthy. It appears to be, uh, to be in full bloom, when in all actuality it's bearing no fruit. And so it's a picture, first of all, of the nation of Israel. And it shows how they were designed to, to declare God's glory among the nations. Uh, the, 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 the Jewish leaders and the Jewish law was intended to bring order and to bring people closer to God. But instead, people had, uh, had, had really just gotten complacent and they, had attended, uh, they were attending services, they were attending feasts, they were attending rituals, but they weren't bearing the true fruit of righteousness. And so this is Jesus, when he's cursing the fig tree, he's also just proclaiming a curse on that nation uh, that generation of Israel, because instead of welcoming him as the Messiah, and instead of bearing good fruit, they were a, like a barren tree. Jesus told the Pharisees over and over and over again, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. And so when Jesus is cursing this tree, he's, he's pronouncing a curse on that generation. 
the fig tree is symbolic of uh, the, the religious system of his day. It was completely and totally failing people. It was superficial. It was all surfacy. It was all veneer, but it had no spiritual substance. It had no true righteousness. It wasn't proclaiming the glory of God. It wasn't caring for the poor. It wasn't reaching out. And so we need to be very careful that you're like, you need to be careful. I need to be careful that our lives are not like that fig tree where we look good, where we have the outward appearance, but we're not really bearing any fruit for the Lord. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, he said, I have appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And he tells the disciples that he's the vine and that they are the branches, and that apart from him, they can do nothing. And apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And what the religious system of his day was trying to do was attain righteousness without Jesus. In fact, they wanted to get rid of Jesus all together. So Jesus curses that fig tree and says, May no fruit come from you again. And it's also symbolic of how the Jewish people rejected him and put him on a tree. And the Bible says that cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. We know that Jesus hung on the cross and took the curse of sin for us. Now, when the disciples see it, they're amazed and they marvel at it. It's amazing to me that after all the miracles that Jesus has done up to this point, in the last three years, he has healed the sick, healed the blind, healed the lame. He's raised the dead. He's calmed the storm. He's fed 5,000 people. Then he fed 4,000 people. He's done all these amazing miracles, and they get so amazed at this little tree. It just shows, again, how the disciples really were not in tune in their heart with what Jesus was going to do, what he, with, with what he was wanting to do. They were not truly bought in or understanding uh, what his mission was. And Jesus has been trying to tell them, if you have faith, he uses this as an opportunity to tell them, if you have faith and don't doubt, listen, nothing will be impossible for you. And what he's talking about there is nothing that's within the will of God. He's not talking about some soothsaying, some magic, hocus-pocus kind of power. That's not what he's referring to here. What he's referring to is, if you have firm faith in the will of God, even when, uh, even when there are impossible circumstances like that mountain, you can speak to it and it will be lifted up and tossed into the sea. And I said back in my sermon Sunday, a lot of times we need to exercise faith uh, in impossible situations. And that's what the mountain represents. It, it represents an obstacle that's bigger than us. It represents uh, a, a stumbling block. It represents a circumstance that is too big for us to climb. But Jesus says, if you have faith and do not doubt, your faith needs you need to have more faith than you do doubt you need to pray like that father prayed when he, jesus asked him if he believed he could heal his son and he says lord i believe help my unbelief and that's what we need to we need to allow our faith to grow over our doubt because all worry is is worshiping the problem all doubt is is uh, is allowing the devil to to rob us of of victory and of our sound mind and jesus is saying look if you have if you have faith if you believe that nothing's impossible with god you can walk in his will and even when you come to a mountain you can speak to it and it can be lifted up and cast into the sea i said it sunday that we need to allow the pain of the moment the pain of the circumstance we need to let god use that as momentum uh, so that instead of being stuck at a mountain we have the faith to go over the mountain or to remove the mountain. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, I, that that sentence right there can't better fit 
with where we are uh, in our nation today, what we ask for in prayer. If we want, we need to ask for unity. We need to ask for reconciliation. We need to ask God for justice, for peace. We need to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we, if we believe that, and if we model that, then we can receive what we ask for in prayer. And that's what we need to be praying. God, out of all this chaos, God, out of all this uncertainty, Lord, I pray. And the disciples needed to, they needed this lesson a whole lot more than they realized at the time. You have to remember, Jesus is trying to teach this lesson. He knows he's going to the cross. The disciples, they they still don't get it. So they need to, you need to understand that every word of the Lord, every word from scripture you need to you need to receive it and you need to pray it and you need to you need to exercise it you need to refresh your mind because maybe you get a word from scripture maybe you get a word from from the lord and it doesn't make sense in the moment well it may not be for your present it may be for what's around the bend you may not know it but in your faith journey you may be able you may be getting ready to turn a corner and guess what there's going to be a mountain that drops in front of you you may be getting ready to turn the corner. You may be just going along like everything is hunky-dory. And, and then all of a sudden, instant tragedy strikes. All of a sudden, there's an epidemic breakout. All of a sudden, there's rioting in the street. Listen, uh, six months ago, we weren't prepared for that. We didn't know that was happening. But God was, was speaking to us back then, back six, seven, eight months ago. He's speaking to us, speaking to us, speaking to us. We need to prepare our hearts. That we need to return to Him. That we need that we that we need to not be complacent. That we need to unify. That we need to be that we need to go out and spread the word like never before. And God's speaking all this six, seven, eight months, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, okay, that's just a typical thing." But look at us today. What we we you have to be ready if you will if you when you walk in the Spirit. Okay, you have to understand this. When you walk in the Spirit, when you walk with the Lord, He prepares your way. He speaks. Listen, if you're spending time in the Word, He could give you something today. He could give you something tonight from His Word, and you you write it down and you journal it. And then two weeks from now, and then something happens, and you're like, "Oh my goodness, that's what this was for. God was preparing me." But you you have to bear fruit. Listen to me. You have to bear fruit. You have to let the Word of God. Dig down into the soil of your heart. You have to let it take root. You have to let it produce. You have to put faith into action. You have to do that. What happens then is we bear the fruit of the Spirit. And as we bear the fruit of the Spirit, that prepares us for when we come up to the mountain. Whatever we believe, we will receive if we ask for it in prayer. Now, in verses 23 and 27, what we're going to see is uh, Jesus is going to start going head-to-head with the religious, the whole next section up until uh, up until the, the upper room, up until his, his betrayal. All the next section, the next several chapters, is just lesson after lesson, parable after parable, uh, face-off after face-off with the religious leaders of, of the day. And so Jesus, you know, the, the days leading up to him being crucified, were some of the busiest days of his life. So his authority is going to get challenged here in verses 23 through 27. When he entered the temple complex, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them, I will ask you one question. And if you answer it for me, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Where did John's baptism come from? From heaven or from men? 
And they began to argue among themselves. If we say from heaven, then he will say to us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now what's happening here is the chief priests and the elders of the people are trying to find cause to arrest Jesus. They want to take him out. He is a threat to their authority, to their power. He is, the people love him. They're following him. They're believing in him. And, and they don't like it. They're jealous. Uh, they don't like it because he has power. They don't like it because uh, he's doing things that they cannot do. So what do they do? They, they come up with a plan. They come up with a scheme to try to catch him and trap him in his in his words. So what do they do? They're, they're, they're questioning him about authority. Because if he says it was blasphemous to claim for any man to claim that he was that he was God. That was blasphemy for the Jewish people. And Jesus said that. We see that in John. He said that I am. And they wanted to stone him. They wanted to, to, to defeat him. So to speak in the name of God and to claim that you're speaking under the authority of God, uh, that, that right there, they would have twisted that. They would have used that to say, look, he's a heretic. Look, he's claiming that these things, and they end up using that anyway. But what Jesus does is he turns it over on their head. He, he answers their question with a question. And he asks them, where did John the Baptist, uh, was his baptism from heaven or was it from men? And see, that, that he traps them again. Instead of them inter interrogating him now, they're arguing amongst themselves. And he hangs them up because what he says is exactly right. The Pharisees, they didn't, believe, they didn't follow John the Baptist. In fact, they went out to see him and John the Baptist calls them out and calls them sons of the devil and brood of vipers and proclaims judgment against them. And so they separated themselves from John the Baptist. But the people, they thought John the Baptist was a prophet. And so you notice that one of the things that always plagues the Pharisee is the fear of man. And this is something that even plagues modern day Pharisees. Modern day self-righteous religious people that think they're better than everyone else what happens is uh, they are more afraid of what people think than they are of what God thinks. And the Bible says that the fear of man will always be a snare. The fear of man will always be a trap. And the Pharisees, were they were, they were so afraid that the, they weren't going to please the people. Anytime your focus or your main concern is pleasing people instead of pleasing God, you're laying a trap for yourself. That's not, that's not even a trap that the devil has to lay for you. You lay it for yourself because it's impossible to please all the people all the time. You will never be able to do that. You have to fear God, fear nothing but God, hate nothing but sin. That should be the mantra. That should be the banner cry of every believer. I'm going to fear nothing but God, hate nothing but sin. That's the only way you can keep out of that Pharisee trap. They, they thought that they were so righteous because of their outward works, but Jesus says their hearts are far from him. So they try to trip him up. He's two steps ahead of him, and they know they didn't follow John the Baptist, so they can't say that it was from God because then that would make them a hypocrite. That would actually show that they were a hypocrite to the people. But if they said that his, if they try to defend their apathy, and say, well, you know, his, his baptism was just for men. Well, then they got to worry about the people riding against them and further promoting Jesus' popularity. So what do they do? They punt. They say, I don't know.
And then Jesus answers to them, uh, neither will I tell you. I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do this. Here's another takeaway. First of all, don't fall, don't set the trap for yourself of, of, of I've got to please people. Don't be afraid of, of, of men or women. Jesus said it this way, don't fear those who can only hurt the body, but fear God who can cast both the body and the soul into hell. Fear nothing but God. Honor God, reverence God. Don't 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 lay that trap out for yourself where you're always trying to please everybody. Listen, please God, live to please God. Doesn't matter what you do, uh, certain percentage, certain percentage of the people in your life, 10 to 20% of the people in your life are gonna love you no matter what. They always will. Uh, and then uh, the other, there's another 10 to 20% of people that no matter what you do, they ain't never going to like you. There's nothing you're ever going to do that's going to be good enough. Uh, they're, they're just, they're just not into it. And then you have that middle, you have that middle 60 to 80% that, Hey, someday it's just going to be like with Jesus. They welcomed him in. They said, hey, Hosanna. They hailed him as King. And then the, at the end of the week, they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So you know what you got to do? You got to honor God. You got to honor God. And never question the authority of Jesus. Never question that. He is the name above all names. So his word, his authority, you got to receive it by faith. Don't let, don't let your intellectual questions or doubts, or you read something and you don't understand it, don't, don't walk away from it just because you have hang-ups. No, seek to understand, continue to say it. And sometimes we all as believers have to say, God said it, I believe it. That settles it. And that doesn't make you dumb. That makes you faithful. Now, he's going to tell the parable here of two sons, and he's going to use this to illustrate uh, the difference between uh, truly righteous people and the Pharisees and self-righteous people. So Matthew 21, he tells this parable, verses 28 through 32. He says, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first, and he said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I don't want to. Any parent can relate to that. Get up and go clean your room. I don't want to. Get up, go take out the trash. I don't want to. Uh, get up and, and and go do the dishes. I don't want to. Every parent knows what this, what this man is going through. The first son answered, I don't want to. Yet later he changed his mind and he went. Then the man went to the other and said the same thing. He said, I will, sir. Now that's the response he answered. Uh, but he didn't go. Uh, which of the two did the father's will? The first, they said. And Jesus said to them, I assure you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. Man, that really ticked them off. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, well, it didn't even change your minds then and believe him. So now Jesus has this parable of the two kids. Now, uh, we like the response of the second child, right? I will, sir. I will, ma'am. Anytime you have a child, you have a kid, a teenager, and they're saying, yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, man, that just that's awesome. I love that. I think, you know, that's so rare to nowadays. That's the right response. But, the, but his follow-through, he didn't go do it. And so it's better to have repentance. It's better to have repentance than just to have the right response. Man, some of us in the church world, man, we've gotten so good at all the Christian sayings, at all the cliches. Oh, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. 
Oh, yeah. If God brought you to it, he's going to bring you through it. Hallelujah. Uh, you know, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. Uh, you know, we have all these cliches, all these catchphrases. We know what to say. You know, we, a lot of times we have to be careful that we're not like the second son. And yes, sir, God. Absolutely, God. Sunday morning, I'm going to do it. I'm going to change. Uh, you know, I, we used to we used to talk back in the day when when altar calls were were were, were the big big thing, and somebody come down every week, every week, every week, every week. And, you know, and, and they'd come down during the service and they'd cry and they'd have this time at the altar. But then they'd walk out and there's no change in their life. Get better at modeling repentance than at the right responses. Because uh, ultimately, true repentance is the right response. And that's what Jesus models here. And the Pharisees are like that second child, right? They claim to be righteous. Yes, sir. But then they, they don't do it. And so what Jesus says to them is like the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the down and outs, the people who, who were sinful from the beginning, they didn't have the right lifestyle at the beginning. But at the end, but once they heard the proclamation of John's message of repentance, they repented and they changed their life. They initially said, I don't want to, but then they went back and they did it. They changed their mind. Changing of the mind, that's repentance. To turn, to change your mindset, that's repentance. And then they went, listen, even if you have not been faithful the way you should be up to this point, you need to be like that first son, and you need to change your mind, and you need to obey the Lord. You need to follow the Lord. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be the main, it needs to be the main event in your life. Proclaiming that needs to be the main event in your life. Modeling that needs to be the main event in your life. Don't be self-righteous. Don't say to all the right responses, but then turn the feed off, turn the Facebook off, or when this goes off, you just flip to the next thing and you go right back to your complacent, apathetic life. No, let your life model true change and repentance, especially now when we need to be praying. Um, we need to be praying. We need to be reaching out and encouraging and, uh, and, and trying to build bridges not burn down buildings. What we need to be doing is trying to build bridges, trying to connect people, uh, not looting and rioting and destroying. That doesn't change. That doesn't do anything. That's not the right response. That's not repentance. That's not the right action. It doesn't bring about the results that we're looking for. What will bring about the results that we're looking for is true repentance, acknowledging our sin and the sin of our land, and then making actual steps towards the gospel towards bringing the kingdom, towards living the kingdom. Uh, and so there, there is that. Now, the parable, last parable here of the vineyard owner, this, is, this parable here is going to tell the story of God trying to send his message, his law, his will to the people of Israel. Uh, and, but they totally reject it. They totally reject it. And, and they are going to reject Jesus. So that's let's look at this last parable, and then we'll close. Uh, verse 33, listen to another parable. There was a man, a landover, who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. The vineyard, the fence, the wine press, and the watchtower, that stands for the first Israel. That, stand, that represents the first Israel, the watchtower was supposed to be the people on the wall 
Uh, and you know, the wall around Israel, the wine press in it, the watchtower that was the temple. Uh, the landowner is God. So landowner, God, vineyard, Israel, fence around it, wine press, watchtower, the temple and the religious system. Now, he released it to tenant farmers and went away. Those are the people of Israel, the tenant farmers. Those are the people of Israel. When the grape harvest drew near, he sent his slaves to the farmers to collect his fruit. But the farmers took his slaves, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Who were the slaves? The slaves of the prophets. Those are the people that were sent to collect the fruit, to, to bring the word, to preach the, the message of repentance. And they killed the prophets. They didn't listen to the prophets. Again, he sent other slaves more than the first group, and they did the same to them. And finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. The son is Jesus Christ. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said amongst themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, threw him outside of Jerusalem, and killed him. That they crucified. Jesus foretells exactly what the Pharisees are going to turn around and do to him. He foretells his death in this story. Therefore, he says, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? In other words, when you face, he's talking to the Pharisees, the chief priests and the elders. When you, those are the chief priests, Pharisees and the elders and farmers. He says, when you face the father in the judgment, what do you think he's going to do? He says, and they, they answer, he, he will completely destroy those terrible men and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him his produce at the harvest. Now, Jesus tells them what he's going to do is he's going to take the message of salvation from you and he's going to give it to other farmers. That's prophetic of the Gentiles being grafted into the church and coming into the church. And they're going to give him his produce. And then he says, have you not read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wonderful in our eyes. We know Jesus is the precious cornerstone that they rejected. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing its fruit. Now, that nation is the church. First Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen generation, you are a chosen race, a holy nation, a holy priesthood, a peculiar people called to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The nation, the new nation, is the church of Jesus Christ, made up of all the Jews and all the Gentiles who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But this old Jewish religious system is going to be completely crushed. For whoever falls in verse 44, on this stone will be broken into pieces. But on whoever it falls, it will grind into powder. Now, look at their response. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they knew he was speaking about them. Although they were looking for a way to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. Notice that instead of repentance, instead of of acknowledging the hardness of their hearts instead of acknowledging uh, that they have rejected him that they have and that they have not been producing the fruit of righteousness what do they want to do instead of repenting they want to kill him instead they want to arrest him and they want to eliminate him listen so many of us 
when we get convicted by God, when we realize that our, our life needs to change, instead of turning to God, we try to run away from it. This is, happens in, in, in everyday life in, in a different sense. Uh, you know, we, we start avoiding church. We start avoiding a Christian friends. We stop reading the Bible. We stop worshiping. We, we try to, we pull back because we know every time we do that, we, that we, we have to change. There's something in our life. There's a complacency. Something has replaced Christ. Uh, you know, we're into our religion, but we're, we're neglecting the relationship. We're, we've allowed something to replace him, and he confronts us. He confronts us, and instead of, of building our lives back on the cornerstone, we reject it. And then that stone becomes a stumbling block. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. In your life, Jesus Christ is he will either be the building block of your life or he will be the stumbling block in your life but you cannot live and you cannot live indifferent you have to choose this day who you're going to serve are you going to build your life on him or are you going to reject him and are you going to reject the true christ for uh for one that lets you stay comfortable and one that lets you stay complacent i said it last wednesday night and i'll say it again there's often room in the world for the jesus christ that we want but there's rarely room in our hearts for the Jesus Christ that is. Now, in, in Isaiah, the stone is, is Yahweh, and he's the one who the people of Israel stumble over, and they are broken, right? And by identifying himself as the stone, Jesus implies his deity. The stone symbolized a powerful kingdom in Daniel that would destroy all others. And listen, Jesus Christ, is going, when he returns... He's going to crush every other worldly system and every other worldly power, and he's going to establish his throne, and he is going to rule and reign. That is what's coming. You are not going to be able to escape the rule of Jesus. There's no way. He's the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. What we need to do is we need to bear fruit for him. We can't let our lives be like that barren fig tree where we have green leaves, but we don't have the fruit. No, we need to bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You don't bear that fruit in your own strength. You bear that fruit by resting in the vine, by abiding in Christ, by abiding in His presence, by relinquishing control, and by walking in obedience, and by walking in fellowship and communion with Him. We can't we can't question God's authority. We can't we sh we have to submit to Him as Lord, and when it comes to which child of God are you going to be, which child are you going to be, be the one who, even if you don't have the right answer and the right response, you carry out the right action and repent. Don't be like that wicked son who said all the right things, but in his heart was far from God. And listen, we need to be a part of that holy nation, that living stone. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we're like living stones, each one of us built on the cornerstone of Christ. We need to come together. We need to unify our hearts. We need to stand alongside our brothers and sisters. We need to, we need to welcome in a hurt and dying world, and we need to show them that the answer is not more hatred. It's love. It's healing. It's found in the name of Jesus. We have to remember uh, what Martin Luther King Jr. said, and I'm going to close with a couple quotes from him. We have to remember that love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. What did God do when he sent his son and, and had him crucified for our sins? 
What did Jesus do? His love for us. God demonstrated his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And because of his sacrificial love, it it took us from being enemies of God to being children of God. It was that sacrificial love on display that took us from being enemies of God to being children of God. Love is the only force that can conquer hate. And love is stronger than hate. Jesus proved that on the cross. Love is stronger than hate. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. We need to rise above it. We need to stand together by uniting together in prayer on our knees. We need to seek to build relationships, authentic relationships with people that may not be like us, but that are created in the image of God for the purpose of showing the world. This is how the church, this is how the kingdom of God, this is how the rule of Christ will look. And when they look into the church, they should see the answer to the problems that they have on the street. When they look into the church, love, the forgiveness, the compassion, the empathy, They should see it. When they look into the church, when they look into my life and when they look into your life, they should see the solution. They shouldn't see part of the problem. And that's what the Pharisees' hearts... When they looked at the Pharisees, they weren't part of the solution. They were part of the problem. Because instead of depending on God and following Christ, they lived in their own strength and they based their goodness on their own righteousness. And they rejected the cornerstone. Brothers and sisters, come to the fountain tonight. Come to the cross tonight. I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it a hundred times more. If we will allow the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to penetrate our lives and to penetrate the lives around us, I'm telling you, when you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is no longer possible to be racist. It's impossible to be a Christian and to be racist. When you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to accept the word of God in Romans chapter 13 that says honoring the government authorities. It's impossible to be a Christian and hate the government and act out in violence against law enforcement. You can't do that because you you have a surrendered, submitted heart and you serve the government as you serve the Lord, recognizing that he's the ultimate authority. When you become a Christian, when you really live the gospel, it's impossible to hate anyone whether it's black lives or blue lives, you recognize that black lives matter, that blue lives matter, that all lives matter. Why? Because Jesus Christ gave his life for all. That should be the mentality of the church. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this night. I thank you that you're in control. I thank you, O God, that you went to the cross for me. And Lord, we may be from different races, we may be from different genders, we may be from different backgrounds, but the blood that you shed on the cross covers us all. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him, that that he was raised from the dead by the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we shall be saved. Lord, I just pray that we'll let the blood that ran red on the cross, that we will allow that 
to change the way we see the world around us. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Lord, I know that you are you're heartbroken by the injustice that you see in this world. I am longing for the day when you split the sky and you come to rule and to reign. And then justice will, as the prophet Amos said, flow like a river. And righteousness will run like a mighty stream. Lord, I pray you'll pour out your spirit on all flesh. Lord, this is the environment right now that revival can break out if your people will stop taking sides, will stop choosing the left or the right. I pray that we'll choose the cross. And I pray that we will fall on our knees and that our protests will be first and foremost in prayer. And then secondly, in peace and in love and in unity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, it's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. I want to, before I sign off here, remind everyone that tonight, uh, that not tonight, but that Sunday morning, 10 a.m., we're going to do another drive-in outdoor service. We're going to do a drive-in outdoor service. If you feel comfortable and you want to stay in your car, that's fine. We have a designated spot for you. If you want to come and bring out your pop-up tent and your own lawn chairs, and you want to spread out in the yard, we got a spot for you too. We're going to be a safe distance from each other, but we're still going to gather together in the name of Jesus. And if you don't feel comfortable coming out, we're going to make every effort and ensure that you can watch uh, from the safety and from the comfort of your own home. There's no right way to do it. Whatever you feel comfortable doing, we're going to serve you and accommodate so that you can do it. So this Sunday, 10 a.m., drive-in service. Stay tuned for more details to follow. We love you, praying for you. God bless you. Thanks for watching.